Hi, I'm Mike. I'm Leah. This is Let's Talk Outdoors. Today, we are chatting with Rhea Gooding, a wild outside youth leadership specialist with the Canadian Wildlife Federation, who is also a Jane of all trades when it comes to outdoor environments and a hiking enthusiast here in Saskatchewan. So you just got back from a pretty cool experience canoeing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your trip to, up to Missinippi? up to Mississippi? Yeah, for sure. So um, I participated in something called the Churchill River Whitewater Festival. And it's basically an event that goes on every year. Um, and it's just a bunch of people that head up to northern Saskatchewan to play in some whitewater. Um, so I think this year was a little bit smaller just because COVID is still a thing. So there was maybe 60 people up there. Um, and yeah, everyone kind of camps in a, I don't know, maybe a one or two squared kilometer area and then just takes little day trips out um, to play in some rapids. And it's it's just extremely accessible. Um, I find whitewater really intimidating and <laughs> it wasn't something that I thought I was going to get into. But um, I had some friends that were going and decided to go and check it out. And it's, it's a really good, like choose your own adventure kind of situation. You could go spend the whole weekend and not do any whitewater. You can just watch other people do cool stuff. Um, or you can quite literally get your feet wet, uh, trying to run some rapids. So, uh, yeah, it's always a, a very good time. And that's through, um, the Churchill river canoe outfitters. If anyone ever wants to check it out, but I'm sure there are people. Yeah. Is there, is there like a date that it normally kind of goes on most years? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's always, um, kind of whatever weekend is closest to a Canada day. Very cool. So yeah, that was just this, this past weekend, nice and hot. So it was, (laughs) it was fun to fall in the water. Water's pretty cold. So yeah, it felt great. (laughs) That does sound really fun. So we heard a little bit about what you do in part of your spare time. Um, We also wanted to ask about about your work. So you work for the Canadian Wildlife Federation running a program for youth. Can you tell us more about the program and the youth that you work with? Yeah, I would love to. So um, the program is called Wild Outside and it's run by the Canadian Wildlife Federation, like you said, Um, and it's funded by the federal government's um, Canadian Service Corps program, which is basically trying to encourage more young people to get into volunteering um, and stewardship activities. So basically, we get to take youth out on fun daytime adventures. Um, So youth in this case is kind of high school age, so 15 to 18 year olds. And we really do anything that they're interested in. It can be hiking or horseback riding, or uh, in the winter, we can go cross country skiing, snowshoeing, really anything that the youth kind of find interesting. And that is meant to kind of give them a sense of all of these awesome wild places that we have. And hopefully that translates into a desire to want to preserve those spaces. So um, kind of half of what we do is these outdoor adventures together. And then we actually complete uh, community service projects in our local areas. So, you know, we might go play around in a park and then maybe get inspired to plant a pollinator garden there or clean up litter along the riverbank, something like that. Um, So we partner with a lot of organizations to get some of that work done. Um, The youth are 
basically eligible if they're in that 15 to 18 year range. And we do take applications year round. Um, so it's a very accessible program. It's completely free because it's government funded. So you don't pay for registration or to participate in any of the activities. Um, and we even have support for things like uh, if you don't have appropriate clothing for certain activities or if you need help with transportation and that kind of thing. So it's really meant to be available to anyone that is interested in getting some of these new kinds of experiences. Very cool. How was it running all of this during COVID? Because I know we've talked to a few different people about, you know, how they've adjusted their teaching out there with it all. But I mean, your program, you guys are, you're moving quite a bit. You're outside a lot. And kind of how is that, how has COVID affected that? Yeah. So um, we actually started this in Saskatoon in March, 2020. So it, <laughs> it aligned <laughs> pretty perfectly with trying wah, to get this wah. off the ground. <laughs> yeah. But on the one hand, I think a lot of people were looking for safe things that they could do that were still, um, you know, interesting getting out of the house when that was safe to do. So we were kind of lucky that most of our activities were outside and we could still do them safely um, with a few exceptions when we just weren't running things that we had to kind of move virtually. Um, we did quite a bit of like at home challenges, too, where we would kind of supply activities or tools or we would even drop things off at participants' homes and then they could go and use those items um, kind of on their own time. But yeah, we were still still able to do a few kind of small group gatherings um, being outside and with masks and, and all of that good stuff. So um, yeah, we were kind of happy to see with the pandemic how much people were spending more time outside. And, and I hope that kind of shifts people's thinking into how important it is to have access to these spaces. So kind of two sides of the same coin there for sure. Well, nice to do all those things with through a program too, because I know like finding cross-country skis, finding all this outdoor equipment, it's almost impossible now. So it's really neat that they, that the youth can kind of turn to a program like this that outfits them as well. Yeah. And I guess that is one of the challenges um, with Wild Outside. It's, it's essentially just two employees that are working out of our homes in, in Saskatoon. We don't have an office. So we, we are actually quite reliant on um, rentals and like we, we fund that kind of stuff, but we don't um, with, with a few exceptions of things that we have uh, from our headquarters. We, we don't actually have that to give. We kind of need it, um, need to purchase it for the youth. So that was kind of our limitation during COVID. Like they really wanted to go kayaking and we just could not find someone mm. that, that could take us kayaking. So, um, but yeah. You, you find ways to bring those experiences and put a few things on the back burner and hopefully these stick around long enough that uh, we can get those experiences later. Mm -hmm. oh, now that COVID's done, do you kind of see you able to do more activities? Yeah, that, that's very optimistic. I hope, I hope. COVID oh, sorry, I didn't mean done. I mean, <laughs> fizzling. It's fizzling out slowly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, since I just mentioned kayaking, we do have that booked now for this summer. Um, so that's pretty exciting. That's going to be coming up in July here. So that's cool. one of the things that we couldn't do this summer. That's, that's now scheduled in. Um, and yeah, even just things like we wanted to go cycling last year and I called like every cycling place I could think of in Saskatoon and so many of them just weren't renting because 
I don't know if it was too complicated to sanitize things or, or what the situation was. So I think there'll be, yeah, quite a bit of stuff. Um, hopefully in kind of late summer, early fall, we'll actually be able to use buses. And then that kind of opens up um, areas a little bit outside of Saskatoon, um, which will be really good, especially for some of our service projects so that we can go like plant trees or, um, you know, do invasive species poles or something like that, that kind of involves going out to a, a managed property. So yeah, lots of exciting stuff coming up, I think. And I do know that you use some of the Sasco Doors things from our lending library over the yeah. time your yeah. programs are running too. So that's a great partnership. Yeah, We're that happy was to have you using that. Very appreciated. That was pretty funny. We borrowed some snowshoes way too late in the season, but we we did find I think the last patch of snow in Saskatoon, and the youth were very happy <laughs> that they could still try it out. <laughs> Um, so can you talk a bit about what um, what brought you to be interested in running a program like you've described? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess my background, my academic background is actually quite technical. Um, I did a lot of biology and environmental science um, related to both kind of the agriculture wildlife interface and also dealing with like water quality and agriculture runoff. Um, and got about halfway through a master's before I realized like I'm I don't really want to go the the science and research route. That's not really what gets me really excited. Um, what I was finding really interesting was kind of like the outreach and communication components. So things like conferences and going to schools and seminars and like talking about the research and um, that kind of side of things. And so I kind of started developing more of those skills and ended up working at the university doing more of that, um, more roles like that. And then around the same time, I was kind of trying to branch out in my own personal life, doing more outdoor adventure activities. And I was finding that a lot of my friends weren't into that stuff. And my family was kind of more of a, like go to the cabin and hang out on the beach and, and that sort of outdoor experience. And I was looking for, for different things. And it was, it was quite hard to not have kind of a support system that was doing that. So it took me a while to, to kind of feel like I broke into that community and found some people that I could go and do that with. Um, but once I did, I, I kind of felt inspired to try to be that person for other people. Um, so yeah, when this opportunity came up, I thought it was a pretty perfect intersection of, of my interests and skills. And yeah, I'm really happy to try to be that, that mentor and that support system for young people that might not have um, others in their lives or experience barriers to doing some of this really fun stuff. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your background also is helpful in some of the technical side or the science side of the work that you're doing too. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice for the kids to have a community also, like they are creating one of their own to, to have partners to go out and do stuff. I know through your program, but also maybe outside the program one day too. So yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an important age for those social connections too. So I think that's a big part of it for them is to be meeting people that kind of make them feel like, Hey, other people care about this stuff and mm -hmm. like the things that I like. And you have a great excuse to go to any outdoor activity yourself. <laughs> I got to train. I got to keep up with my, you know. <laughs> yeah. Got to test this equipment. And yeah. 
you just finished doing your wilderness first aid. Uh, how was that experience? Yeah. So I was very fortunate to have uh, work support me in doing that. Um, it is a bit of an investment, but it is so worth it. Um, I did that through Back 40 Wilderness First Aid, which is run by um, a woman, just kind of a one woman show, which is really cool, I think. And so, yeah, Rebecca, she runs these Wilderness First Aid courses. This one was 20 hours that I did. So you actually go out into a um, wild space and it's a lot of like scenarios. So you talk about different injuries and illnesses and, and okay, what are we actually trying to treat? And then you're just kind of left to your devices to try to figure out how to do that um, in the context and with the limited supplies that you might have in your day pack or whatever. So um, again, like I was very intimidated and nervous going into it. I was like, you know, I've never even used my regular first aid, which is good. I'm happy not to have had to use that. <laughs> But um, yeah, she just makes it so experimental and it, it's, you know, really just playing around with what works and what doesn't in a very low consequence sort of way. But you, you definitely feel the stress of like this, this could be tough. And yeah, it's much better to be figuring out those kinds of things when it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> and learning all those lessons yeah, in a really safe way. So um, can't, can't recommend that enough if you spend a lot of time through either work or leisure, um, in the outdoors. Well, I think you brought up a good point too, of oftentimes, like I know even when I go into different environmental groups or like settings, I always get intimidated for a little bit by the people I'm with. I'll like look around and be like, all right, like, is this like a bear grizz in disguise? Or like, do they, they all have like these knives on their life jackets ready to cut themselves loose in the gate? <laughs> like, who am I working with? But I like what I like about that community so much is like, give them five, 10 minutes and you're, you're at ease with them. And they're all just so nice. For sure. And I, um, I have to borrow a quote from Rebecca, something she said that really struck a chord with me is if you're ever out doing things like this, if there's anyone around to judge you, they should be helping. <laughs> so really so much of it is feeling like you're not good enough or you're not doing it perfectly. Like your wilderness first aid is never going to be textbook first aid. And as long as you understand that those kind of underlying basics here, you're doing it right. I, I restarted my wilderness first aid, or remote first aid with Rebecca this year. Also, um, I always tell my friends who have to are taking like the standard first aid, like just then the extra four hours added and the wilderness version outside version is uh, to, for me in my life, more applicable, I think, and just more fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I appreciate it a lot. Little, little plug, our little first aid plug. Yeah. And maybe your work will pay for it. If you, if you can convince them that, uh, I mean, it is valuable. That's not a hard sell, but if we're going to switch, uh, move our conversation to a situation where you might, but hopefully don't have to use your first aid. <laughs> um, and we wanted to talk a bit more about hiking. Yes. Um, so you've had the opportunity to hike in various parts of Canada. Can you talk about some of your most memorable hikes? Yeah. So I guess for sure the most iconic hike I've done is the West Coast Trail, um, which is about a 75 kilometer hike along a very rugged coastline in British Columbia. Um, so we did it in seven days. So six nights, seven days, which is 
probably on a bit of the slower end. Um, some people do it in five days, which I think is quite, <laughs> quite an accomplishment. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's obviously a lot to consider with such a long trip. Um, but you're rewarded with just absolutely beautiful scenery and spending that amount of time outside. It just becomes a whole different lifestyle. Um, so super rewarding. Definitely wasn't all rainbows and wonderfulness the entire time, but yeah, looking back, it's really just only fond memories. Um, so that's, that's a bucket list hike for a lot of people. So I'm, (laughs) I'm very glad that I've got that one under my belt. Um, but yeah, lots of great hikes closer to home as well. And in some of the other kind of classic areas around Canmore and that kind of thing, but West Coast Trail certainly certainly stands out. When you're taking on a big hike like that, is there kind of some tips you you would recommend people who are maybe going at it for the first time? Yeah, probably probably a whole talk in itself. Um, but I honestly feel like the mental preparation is more important than the physical. I mean, you have to have a certain amount of physical fitness, but especially if you can choose, you know, how fast you're going. Um, I think just planning things out well and having backup plans and knowing that some things are probably going to go wrong and how kind of building your own mental resiliency, um, for those sorts of situations. I think having, having that kind of attitude is even more important than worrying about, you know, is my fitness level up for this? Um, yeah, there's all kinds of people on that trail doing it for all kinds of different reasons. And I don't know that there's like a particular person or, or experience level that is really required, but, um, we actually saw a, a youth group that was doing it. I don't know if they were doing the whole trail, but I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. But, but sometimes it's the worst too, because you see these little kids pass it. I always feel like, wait, whenever I'm like downhill skiing or trying to snowboard and these little kids come and pass me, I'm like, <laughs> I guess it's yeah. good. You're enjoying the environment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, can we get a, even a little bit more local? Are there any top picks for hiking in Saskatchewan? Yeah, actually, one of my favorite hikes, like full stop, um, is the Nut Point hike um, that's near La Ranch. So I think it's about a 31 kilometer just out and back trail. So you could do it in um, as like an overnight. And you're essentially walking out to the tip of a peninsula that kind of juts out into Lac La Ranch. And it's just beautiful. Like it's not that far up north and you're getting into like the Canadian shield already. Um, but there's also a lot of forest and like some muskeg. It just feels like in two days you walk through like every type of environment and there's lots of um, really unique plant life and lots of wildlife to be seen. Um, just, yeah, really, really high reward to work ratio for that hike. Um so that, that was, yeah, definitely a standout hike to me kind of in this more local area. Um, so that would, that would probably be my favorite. I also was really pleasantly surprised with the Grasslands uh, National Park. I hung out in the East Block for a few days, which is mostly kind of a badlands um, and grassland environment. And it's because there's maybe not so many of the sweeping 
um, you know, you're not in the mountains or by a big body of water that we kind of associate with these viewpoints that we want to see. But there's so many little details that are just so cool. Um, little plant life and really interesting colored rocks. There's fossils in that area and all kinds of other stuff to be paying attention to. So um, there's not as many developed hiking trails in that area. So it's kind of more of a wander around and see what you find, which is kind of a neat experience that we don't get a whole lot of. So yeah, those are probably my two favorites from the last few years. Very cool. And you've, you've done some trips obviously with groups hiking in, in various different places, but you've also done some by yourself. And I, I don't know, I haven't gone on very many solo hikes in my day, but how would those kind of two experiences compare to each other? Yeah. So, um, it's a little different for everyone, I guess. Um, certainly you have to be a lot more self-sufficient when you're, when you're going solo. Um, I find that I'm kind of a solitary person by nature. So I maybe don't have the same, um, you know, sense of feeling like I, I have to be with a group. So I'm, I'm quite happy to go on, on day hikes, uh, by myself or with a group. Um, but as soon as you get into overnight stuff, um, I think something psychologically happens for people where they just feel so much more vulnerable. There's that kind of spooky, now I have to sleep at night and what's out there, um, kind of feeling. And I think that that is a limitation for a lot of people. I, I honestly don't know that I've done, uh, overnight solo adventure. It's, it's on my list for sure. Um, but I think, I think that's a bit of a barrier. And again, a lot of it, I think it's just a psychological one. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of empowerment to be felt there, um, to go out and do that sort of a thing. Um, but similar to first aid, if you want to build your skills, you know, going by yourself, no one's going to judge you. So if you're not <laughs> sure, <laughs> if you're not sure about some skills and you want to practice them, you know, pick a, pick a safe trail that you've done with a group before and take some of the unknown out of it and yeah, go and go and play around and try doing some of those pieces that you maybe have relied on other people to do. Um, or, or go and practice in your backyard first, make sure everything works. That's probably the smarter approach, but yeah, once you know your gear, um, I think solo can be a super good way to be able to practice some of those things without having to worry about kind of the pressures of the, the people with the knives on their holsters and, <laughs> and all those, um, all those factors. So yeah, there's kind of pros and cons to it for sure. But um, I think, yeah, especially as a woman, it's a little bit less, um, not as much representation that we see of, of women, especially solo adventurers out there. So I think it's, it's really cool to, to see other women doing that and it can be really inspiring and empowering to get out there yourself. I was thinking a bit about the, the social dynamics too. Um, I also, I've also hiked the West coast trail, but it was a number of years ago and I was with a group there were six of us. And I was just thinking when you're talking about the mental game of getting ready, also just the whole group dynamics of these weren't people that I knew particularly well at the beginning of the trip. And so like, and we also took a while to do it, I think six nights also. So um, I've just been thinking a bit about the interplay of the interpersonal relations versus the like mind games you could play by when you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, a lot of things that are beyond the gear and the, 
physical level, like you're saying. Yeah, that's honestly so huge because as soon as things start to go sideways, um, yeah, those group dynamics come into play very quickly. <laughs> it's it's nice to go with people that you know really well. Um, I I love introducing people to to new activities, but when things go bad, you want to know who you're with and what their limitations are and making sure you're communicating super well before the trip. I've had a few not so great situations bringing people out where we've, we had the conversations and they showed up not really well prepared and that's very stressful for everybody. So um, yeah, the group, group matters for sure. (laughs) Yeah. How does that translate into your, I'm getting back off track, but into your, your work, you're with Canadian Wildlife Federation. Um, You have a group of youth who I presume don't necessarily all know each other. Um, How do you work with the group dynamics in those situations? Yeah. So we, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because we do have um, right now, I think 25 youth registered, but they're, they're never all showing up to the same thing. So a few of them know each other really well. And other times we'll get, you know, a lot of new people out to the group. So um, we always have a little bit of uh, like some sort of icebreaker or team building kind of component to our events, just to kind of help out with um, kind of getting those relationships warmed up and getting them comfortable with each other. Um, and the goal is to kind of have them take on more and more leadership roles or kind of doing, doing that a little bit more naturally. Um, so we don't do any like big overnight trips, but even for yeah little things, like if they're going canoeing and they're going to have to work together, you know, it's hard to just throw two people in a boat and see how they do. So definitely developing those relationships is important. And, um, yeah, mostly we, we just spend a little time before the activities kind of getting to know each other. And um, now quite a few of them have met each other a few times and it's, it's definitely getting easier and you can see more of those connections. Um, but yeah, it definitely, definitely works better when there's a little bit of trust there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen canoes break friends and then make friends. Too, but. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, for going on a whole bunch of these different hikes, whether it's like one of these shorter ones, but for, for also these longer ones, like even going up to the ranch and, uh, and there, that's, that's still a good trek. Um, what kind of things would you be taking in your, in your day pack um, that you can maybe offer up some insight for? Yeah, I'm an overpacker for sure. I will readily admit. Um, I think that there's a conventional wisdom that you shouldn't carry more than like 25 or 30% of your body weight. And I don't think I've ever listened to that rule. Doesn't help that I don't weigh very much. <laughs> but um, for me, no matter what the weather is, I'm packing a layer for every conceivable weather situation. So um, I don't, I don't usually bring like changes of clothes, like for the West coast trail, I wear the exact same shirt and pants and sports bra for the entire, <laughs> the entire thing. But I had like a long sleeve shirt in case it was colder. So, um, yeah, I bring quite a bit of clothing just cause I know that I get cold very easily and that is a good way to make me miserable. So that's a big one for me. Um, obviously food and water food is very heavy. So you want to put a little bit of thought into, um, you know, you, you want enough food that you're not gonna be miserable. Um, but you don't want to have so much heavy stuff or stuff that's going to spoil 
So that's, that's often the one that requires kind of the most thought. Um, I like to have some sort of water treatment, even if I don't think I'm spending a lot of time out there. Um, sometimes things happen and you stay longer than you want to. So even just a few like water purification tablets, um, just in case, um, tarps are pretty excellent. Uh, they can be shelter. They can be used in first aid situations. Um, same with rope things that, uh, can double or triple uses are always good to have. Um, yeah, this is, this is probably another one of those things that could turn into a whole episode by itself, mm-hmm. but, um, no, that's are, great. Yeah. Those are kind of the big ones for me. Um, I, I get teased for carrying a tarp. I've learned that from Rebecca. Yeah. Um, mostly from following <laughs> her social media. In, over the, yeah. I, she did a couple webinars for Sasco Outdoors in um, like a year ago. And then I started carrying a tarp and my friends are, uh, are constantly teasing me. And I was like, you just wait one of these times I will be with you and you'll need a tarp. <laughs> I, I had a similar situation with, I, I don't even remember where I picked up on this, but, um, if I have a water bottle, sometimes I have like a camelback instead, but if I have a water bottle, I always cover it in duct tape just to have that <laughs> for who knows what. And I also had people making fun of me for that. And then probably five minutes after they were making fun of me, somebody's little like camping chair broke. And they're like, oh man, does anyone have any duct tape? I was like, <laughs> this is my moment. <laughs> so we were able to fix their chair and that just felt really good. Sure. It's a fireplace <laughs> as you put it on their chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of the stuff you pack, hoping you don't need it, but you're not packing it for the times that you don't need it. You're packing it for that rare occasion where you're like, thank goodness I brought this. And that can suck because sometimes that's adding so much weight to your pack. Um, but those are the kinds of things that you end up regretting if you <laughs> stop bringing them. Yeah. What would you say to someone who is new to hiking? It sounds like maybe you were in that situation not too long ago of kind of getting into outdoor things. But if you had someone who was interested in going hiking, but had never really done it before, what kind of tips would you give them? Yeah, I think um, certainly in my case, it helped to to find, I say mentor, but like really just a friend, um, someone that maybe has a bit more experience and is, is happy to um, kind of bring someone along. Uh, there's obviously a lot of more formal groups. Um, there's quite a few like meetups and Facebook groups um, in Saskatoon where they have like group events. Those can be a pretty good way to meet people and kind of go out with a group where you maybe don't need to start out with all of those skills. Um, if you have people that you can like borrow gear from, I know it can be really daunting to be like, oh my goodness, I need a backpack and a tent and hiking shoes and da da da. And it's really not necessary to get those all at once or get the highest quality stuff all at once. Um, I don't know if it's running right now, but there's like a library of things in Saskatoon that has some camping equipment that you can borrow for free um, and some kind of cool resources like that. Um, there's tons of trails in and around Saskatoon that are really good for just kind of testing stuff out. Before I did the West Coast Trail, I would like put my backpack on with as much stuff as I could put in it and just walk around by the river. It probably looked like a bit of a bit of a crazy person, but um, just because we do have some elevation down there and you can see how those hiking shoes feel and see how your backpack sits after an hour of walking. 
Um, so yeah, don't feel, don't feel silly, like testing out gear. Cause you, you don't want to be in the middle of a four day hike and figuring out that, you know, Hey, these shoes actually really hurt my feet. So yeah, start small. If you have people that you can go with, that's great. Otherwise, um, if you're comfortable joining up with one of these groups, I would suggest that there's like hiking Saskatchewan seems pretty active. I run a Facebook group called the outdoor adventure club. Um, that isn't extremely active right now because that's now what I do for work every day, (laughs) but (laughs) it can be a good way to, to meet people as well. Really cool. Rhea, we, we usually ask each guest, um, kind of where in Saskatchewan would be your favorite place to go? Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually really bad at picking favorites because I, I tend to, to like to try new things and go to new places, but, um, I, I do seem to be very drawn to the kind of rocky Canadian shield areas in, in Northern Saskatchewan. So, um, that Mississippi area is probably the area I've been to the most. Um, so that's, that's definitely up there. Um, but to be honest, I also love the river Valley in Saskatoon. Like I, I go walking there a few times a week and I just think it's such a nice little oasis in the middle of the city. So that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a much nicer, closer to home (laughs) accessible adventure. But yeah, for anyone that has not been, um, far enough North in Saskatchewan to get away from the kind of prairie stereotype, it's, it's really a must see in the province. Uh, the other question we ask all our guests uh, is if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Yes, a big question. Um, I think I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say something that I, I don't know that I've verbalized to a lot of people, but um, I wish that more people had kind of a spiritual relationship with nature. Um, I'm not a religious person by any means, um, but when I'm out in nature, that's when I feel, um, really connected to, you know, something outside of myself, something bigger than myself. And that seems to be the kind of language that people describe, um, when they have religious experiences. And I think that if we approached the natural world in the same way that we show devotion to, to religion, um, there would just be so much more stewardship and so much more care, um, for, for our natural places. And this is certainly not a novel idea. I think it's something that pretty much every indigenous uh, community on the planet has been tuned into. And uh, we can all be learning a lot from that, that uh, model of, of living. So I think that would be, that would be my wish for the planet. <laughs> yeah. And just creating that connection you were bringing up before talking about how, how to move youth towards uh, empowerment and, and action. And I think that's just the, that's the most fundamental step is creating that connection to the land with them and, and teaching them what they are protecting when they're doing this stuff, when we're all doing, when we're doing this stuff. Yeah. It's really, if you can just get people into these spaces and, and find a way to, uh, yeah, find their interest within these environments. I think that comes very naturally to, to people who spend the time doing it. So there's hope. <laughs> Rhea, where can people go to learn more about your Canadian Wildlife Federation work? So our website is wildoutside.ca. 
And that is the national website. Um, so there's lots of information about the program in general. Um, there's an application form on there, which is a or statement. It's just a few questions that you uh, type in that get sent to um, the appropriate city. And then we will um, be in touch to, to get you registered. So do kids have to live in Saskatoon to be a part of this program or is it like surrounding area kind of thing? Or um, Technically, they can be from anywhere um, and we'll just kind of connect them with the closest city, um, depending on their, you know, willingness to, to travel. Um, it might be hard to actually attend, uh, attend in-person events, but we, we do have some virtual opportunities as well. And if it does work out, we're, we're more than happy to um, try to have them like meet us at events if we're doing them kind of closer to their place as well. So it's, uh, certainly not a, it doesn't make them ineligible. Um, it just might be a bit harder to actually attend the in-person events. And there's, there's one in Regina as well. I should mention. Are you on social media? A while outside? Um, the national one. Yes. So I think it's also wildoutside.ca um, is the Instagram handle. I don't think that there's a Facebook page. It's just the Canadian Wildlife Federation on, on Facebook. Well, thanks. Well, I think we can leave it at that. Thanks, Rhea, for, for joining us. And, uh, and thanks for taking some time to, to talk to the group and, and to all of our listeners today. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Leo, what was your takeaway from that conversation with Rhea? I really liked how she talked about developing a community and especially when you're starting out a new activity, how valuable it can be to learn from someone else um, and spend time with them and kind of mentor. She used the word mentorship a bit like that. Sometimes we think we can find the answer to everything on the internet. And for a lot of these kind of experiences, having a, a real life relationship and mentor can make them both more you can just learn more and more easily and also make them a more enriched experience. Mike, what was one of your big takeaways from our conversation? I really like how her program uh, connects the youth to the environment as a major focus to begin with. And then they have their action based through that. And I think too many of myself included when I'm teaching or running my program, I'll, I'll, do a whole bunch of educational stuff. Like we'll do a whole bunch of knowledge. We'll learn the statistics of climate change. And then I'll hold off on like action pieces until it's a little bit better weather or until I've lined something else up. So I think for me, I've got to look at it as like, I think Ray has kind of pointed out a really good thing of they work in that space and they do something to, to as like an action project in that space. Or like they learn in that space, they have fun in that space, they connect the students to land and then they do something about it. I think that's got to be something that I try to plan around a bit more. So that was one of my big takeaways from that conversation with her. This podcast is produced in association with Sask Outdoors. Check us out online at saskoutdoors.org.